0: Welcome to the podcast of Okotoks Calvary Fellowship. Please enjoy as Pastor John opens up the word. Well, turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. We've been making our way through this letter that John wrote, not just to one church, but to all Christians, including us, Christians living today. And we have been noticing that John has placed an emphasis on righteousness, having a right walk with the Lord and having a moral purity in our lives. And if you take a look at verse 9 where we left off last week, it says, Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him And he cannot sin because he has been born of God. And as we discussed last week, when John says here that he does not sin, it doesn't refer to occasional acts of sin. It talks about a settled, habitual lifestyle of sin. And John is trying to tell us that when we come to Jesus, he changes us and he makes it so that we no longer feel comfortable in that lifestyle of habitual sin. Now, I've noticed something about people who are really concerned with righteousness. They oftentimes lack something significant in their lives, don't they? It's called love. They have such a zeal for walking uprightly. They are passionate about getting sin out of their lives and out of others' lives. (laughs) They want to live a life of holiness before God, but they lack that sincere love for the brethren. And that's why John sort of transitions just a little bit here in verse 10. So let's look at that, verse 10. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. Now I just want to say here, I'm really kind of blown away by verse 10 and I think you should be too. John has already spoken about the idea that there are some people who are children of God. In First John 3, verse 1, it says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. <coughs> so God has His children, and they live in this reciprocal love relationship With him. And John has already spoken to us about some people being of the devil. 1 John 3 8 says, He who sins is of the devil. But now John makes it even more plain. Look, there are some people. Who are children of God there are some people who are children of the devil and there are people who really think that John is being harsh here come on John can't we all just get along I mean can't we all just love one another can't you know why can't we love each other like Jesus did I mean, could you ever imagine Jesus looking at somebody in the eye and saying, you're a child of the devil? I mean, that's not something that our loving Lord could ever do, right? Well, hold that thought for a moment. Keep your finger here in 1 John 3, and I want you to turn to the Gospel of John chapter 8. You know, one of the exciting things as you study the Bible is you see just how connected that it is. And here in John chapter 8, verse 41, we likely see what was in John's mind when he wrote that back in his Gospel. Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders and he says, you do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. And that is a very um, revealing statement that they're making here. Do you know what they're really saying to Jesus? Basically, they're saying, look, Jesus, we weren't born in sin. We know who our father is. Our Father's God. Who's your Father? Now, we as believers don't have a problem believing in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. However, there would have been wide disbelief back in that day, to say the least. And most would have believed that Jesus was born of fornication or in sin. And Jesus' enemies knew this And these religious leaders believed he was born in sin. And you can just picture that sneer of derision that would have been on their faces as they said that. Now, if I was Jesus and be thankful that I'm not, I would have burnt them to toast. I would have just called down fire from heaven like one of the thuns of, sons of thunder which John happened to be but Jesus doesn't do it that way does he look how he continues in verse 42 Jesus said to them if God were your father you would love me for I proceeded forth and came from God nor have I come of myself but he sent me why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my words. You are of your father the devil and the, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Wow. That came from Jesus. And I'll venture to say that there are some of you who are surprised to hear those words from Jesus' mouth. I never knew Jesus could talk like that to somebody. And Jesus doesn't talk to the lowly sinner who wants to get his right life right with God that way he didn't talk like that to them but Jesus does talk like this to the proud religious rulers who were rejecting him and he looks them square in the eye and he says you are of your father the devil and my friends, the same idea is carried forth back in 1 John chapter 3, verse 10, when John says, in this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. In other words, we can know who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. And how do you know? Well, take a look at the end of verse 10. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. Now can I just say that both are essential. Righteousness without love will make you hypocritical. Holier than thou. Looking down on the whole world because of course... I'm so righteous and they're not. But then there are people who have love, and I put love in parentheses, so to speak, because they have love without righteousness. And love without righteousness says, we do not have standards. We don't need to follow after the Lord or live the way He says we should live. All we need to do is just love one another. Well, my friends, if we have righteousness without love, then we're just holier-than-thou religious Pharisees. If we have love without righteousness, then we're just partners in evil. So John says if we're born of God, we're going to see both love and righteousness in our lives so how do you find that balance then between love and righteousness can i just tell you right now you don't you don't my friends they don't balance they go together The greatest love is concerned for righteousness. The greatest righteousness always has love before it. We are never to love at the expense of righteousness. And we're never to be righteous at the expense of love. We're not looking for a balance between love and righteousness because they're not opposites. Real love is the greatest righteousness and real righteousness is the greatest love. Let me explain it this way. <clears throat> Let's say you have a person who is all focused on love and not righteousness. And they're in a relationship. Let's call it a boy, boyfriend-girlfriend relationship. They're not married. They say that they love each other so much. And we're going to have intimate relations outside of God's plan for marriage. And you're compelled to do this because you just love each other so much. The love that you have, you you love her so much that you're going to lead her into sin. That you're going to endanger your future relationship and then you're going to commit an offense against God that may have repercussions not just now but for eternity that's not really love is it real love would say I want the best for you and the best means we're going to walk together before the Lord Well, what about somebody who claims to be very righteous? I'm so righteous. I'm just sick and tired of all the sin that's around me. And I'm going to judge this person. And I'm going to condemn that person. And we've just got to start cleaning house around here. Because we need to have some righteousness here now. We might stand back and say, wow, that person's really righteous. But, friends, is that really righteousness? It's not. Real righteousness reflects the character and the heart of God. Real righteousness is going to show love. So, when John says in verse 10 again, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is he who does not love his brother he's really saying the same thing if you really want to see an example of this look no further than Jesus himself love and righteousness are both most perfectly displayed In the nature of Jesus, he was both completely righteous and completely loving. But let's go on to verse 11. It says, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Ah, here we go again. John loves to get right back to the beginning, doesn't he? He's saying, look, ever since we started following Jesus, he's told us to love one another. Now, perhaps John is thinking of a particular message that he heard Jesus speak. And he's thinking, Jesus told me to love my enemies. And then he thinks back to when Jesus had assembled all the disciples together. You remember on the night when Jesus was betrayed, they all had the Last Supper together and Jesus gave them this beautiful sermon and He said, I give you a new commandment. A commandment that you must love one another. And I'm sure that those words of Jesus were still ringing in His ears and on His heart, especially this part. You ready by this the world will know that you are my disciples how by the love that you have for one another my friends that basic message of Christianity has not changed one iota we not only should love one another we must love one another we as christians often talk about having a personal relationship with jesus christ and we should you need to have a personal relationship with jesus that is where your eternal destiny is settled right you know you're right between you and god but here lies the problem for some people let me explain some people have this thought that this whole Christian life is just a me and God thing. I love the Lord. I love Jesus. I don't need nor do I want anything or anyone else. My relationship with Him is fine. It's the other Christians I can't get along with. But what John is saying here is that anybody who says that is a phony. It's right there in the passage. And I'm sorry if that jars you or if that's too blunt for you to handle, but the ra- reality is, and get this clear, you can't love Jesus without loving His people. Period. Look, I'm not saying it's all going to be peaches and cream with his people. Because it's not. (laughs) And sometimes that love is going to be a hard-fought love. And love that has to be won through forgiveness and restoration and by loving each other in spite of some of the things that go on. But that love is going to be there, friends. So how we treat each other and how we love one another really matters to God. And John says here that we should love one another. And that's a message that we've heard from the beginning. And it's a message that we need to hear again and again and again. Now, we often learn well, from good examples, don't we? You know, having a mentor or somebody show us how to do something right. But sometimes we can also learn from bad examples, can't we? I still remember one time at the kitchen table, my brother made a comment, and I was mocking him about something. I says, "Well, how are you ever going to learn anything?" He says, "I don't have to do it myself. I just learned from your mistakes." That one hurt. Well, in verse 12, John's going to show us a bad example of loving one another. And he uses the example of Cain. So look at the end of verse 11 and into verse 12. It says, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, And murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil. And his brothers righteous. So John presents the example of Cain. Who was not right with God. As as a matter of fact his works were evil. Cain hated his brother Abel. Well let me ask you something. Was Abel right with God? Yes, he was. Was Cain right with God? No, he wasn't. And that is why there was conflict between them. But when there are two children of God who are both right with God, there's going to be love. You know, many times when I see conflict in the church between two people, There's not love going on. And sometimes we wish it was just a cut and dried thing, like a Cain and Abel situation. You know, here is righteous, here is not righteous. But sadly, it's usually two Cains fighting with one another, isn't it? And Cain is an excellent negative example of Of the failure to love you know I imagine that Cain had a godly upbringing you know his parents were saved and I could go into an explanation of why I believe that but for the sake of time if you would like to have my explanation I'd be happy to talk to you after the service on that but I believe Adam and Eve were saved so Cain grew up in a saved household Yet he chose not to follow the path of his mom and dad. And Cain's disobedience stemmed from a lack of faith. Hebrews 11 tells us that the reason why Cain's offering was not accepted was because it wasn't accompanied by faith. Cain first disobeyed the Lord because of his lack of faith. And then... Hatred arose in his heart. But friends, the Bible also tells us that Cain's hatred and disobedience was based on pride. It was pride. You see, it wasn't so much that his sacrifice was rejected by God. Cain could have li- lived with that. But what really bugged him was that his brother's sacrifice was accepted. And he was angry about it. Let me tell you something here. Sadly, there are people in the church who are following the ways of Cain. They don't love their brothers and sisters. And it's usually rooted in pride and it's usually making them miserable. And Cain's Disobedience and hatred made him miserable. And the Bible says that his countenance was lowered. And the Lord came to Cain and said, Why is your countenance fallen? Why do you look so sad, Cain? If you do what's right, you're going to be accepted. But watch out because sin is crouching at the door and it's waiting to devour you. But Cain refused the warning that God gave to him. And he gave in to the sin of hatred, bitterness, and anger, and then ultimately murder. And maybe this morning, this is your wake-up call. This is your warning. Maybe you've been following or, or allowing a hatred and a bitterness to follow you. To come up in your heart towards your brothers and sisters. And right now, God's showing you his goodness and warning you don't do it. Sin is crouching at your door. Don't refuse the warning that God gives you because you may end up like Cain. Because Cain's sin of hadre- hatred led him to action against the one he hated. He ended up striking him down. All right, let's conclude here this morning by looking at verses 13 through 15. John says, Don't marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in Him. John says don't marvel when the world hates you. In other words, it shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't surprise us when we're at our jobs or in, sco- in our schools and people who don't yet know the Lord mock us when they think we're insane for believing in God or believing the things that we do, frankly, it should be expected. Yet sometimes we get all shocked and offended by it. I mean, how could they speak to me that way? Don't be surprised. But let me tell you when you should be surprised you should be surprised when there's hatred among God's people. Because there's no place for that amongst the body of Christ. Because, my friends, when we pass from death to life, it's evident in the fact that we love the brethren. I just love that phrase in verse 14. It says, we've passed from death to life. My friends, a love for the people of God is a basic sign of being born again. If this love is not evident in our lives, you can fairly question your own salvation. I'm not saying you're not saved, but there is something obviously missing. However, if that love is present, it gives us the assurance. There is this presence of the love of God in my life for the other people in the body of Christ. I know that I've passed from death to life. I want you to notice something here. This place of hatred, of jealousy, of bitterness that you may find yourself in, that's a place of death. And you need to pass from death to life. But that's the opposite of the way we normally think, isn't it? Normally, we go from life to death we're born we die but in Jesus Christ he turns that all around in him we move from a place of sin and death to life and it's going to be evident in our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ now I know that some of you may be saying right now John if you only knew how I have been treated by other Christians, if you only knew, then you'd really understand. I just don't want anything to do with the church or those hypocrites. My friends, I need you to understand something. I know something of the wounding you're talking about. But I'm here to tell you that even if you've been bruised, bruised and battered by unloving brethren, there is still going to be something drawing you back to fellowship with the brethren. I'm not saying that it doesn't hurt. I'm not saying that we don't get scraped and bruised along the way. I'm just saying that if we pass from death to life, there's a principle of love for the brethren that's alive in your life. And it's like that magnet that keeps drawing you back and that's how it should be. And this is very important for us to understand because notice what John says at the end of verse 14, he says, "He who does not love, his brother abides in death. And then verse 15 says, whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So to hate our brother is to murder him in our hearts. And I know you're probably saying, John, I've never wished that person dead. Maybe you have, I don't know. But, friends, you know that when you hate somebody, when you allow that bitterness and resentment to well up, Jesus said it's the same thing as murdering them in your heart. But I want you to look at this from a different perspective for a moment. And this is something I think that we all can be guilty of. Did you know that by ignoring another person in the body of Christ you can them as if them? and that's the vir- virtually the same thing as wishing them dead. Friends in your heart there's no difference to hate as to despise and to hate as to cut somebody off from relationship murder is simply the ultimate fulfillment of that heart attitude and so to live in the practice of murder or to have a lifestyle of the habitual hatred or brethren of the you know, of our brethren, is a demonstration that we do not have eternal life abiding in us, that we're not born again. In light of what we've been talking about this morning, I want to ask you a direct question: Do you know that you have eternal life abiding in you? And I want. Everybody here this morning or watching online to ha- have that assurance of the salvation that they have in Jesus Christ. Look at, to many people, being a Christian is sort of one of those none of the above kind of things. You know, you got a list of boxes to check. What best represents you? Well, I'm not a Muslim. I'm not Jewish. I'm not a Buddhist. I'm not an atheist. Oh, okay. I guess I must be a Christian I I live in a Christian country, so it works, right? Look being a Christian and more is more than just saying I'm a Christian Can we just recognize the fact that there are some people who claim to be Christians who are not? Can we of course? So how can you know that you're really who you claim to be? Well, John give, is, has given us three distinct tests in this amazing letter so that you and we can know whether or not we are Christians. And we have discussed this before, but let me remind you. First of all, there's the moral test. If we are following Jesus there's going to be a change in the way we live our lives. Second of all, there's the doctrinal test or the truth test. If you're really following Jesus, if if we really have been changed by Him, we're going to believe certain things about Him that come from His Word. And third, we have what John's been talking about here, the love test. So if we believe in what what Jesus teaches is true, if we show the love of Jesus to others, and if our conduct has been changed and it's becoming more like Jesus, then our claim to being a Christian can be proven. You know, when we're talking about this, I can't help but think of Palm Sunday. I can't help but think of this great crowd of people as Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem. Many of them were filled with praises. They're crying out, Jesus, we love you. Hosanna, we're saved now. They were saying the words. They were going through the motions. But it didn't cut very deeply in their hearts, did it? Do you know how I know that? Because I assure you that many of those who are waving the palm branches on Palm Sunday were in that mob that cried out, Crucify Him. We have no Lord but Caesar. My friends, let's not be that way when we cry out to the Lord. Let it be with a sincere heart that has been truly transformed and changed into a heart of love, not only for him, but for his people. My friends, if we really love Jesus Christ, it's going to show up in our love for his people. Let's pray right now and ask the Lord to draw us closer to his heart and give us the resources that we need to love one another. Father, I'm still amazed (coughs) at how patient you are with us. How selfish we can be Wander off, do our own thing. Hurt those that you love. And yet you continue to draw us back to yourself. And yet we won't even have the forgiveness in our heart to forgive our own brother or those that may have wronged us. Lord you not only forgave you forgot you buried in the deepest sea And Lord I want to abide in you I want to abide in your love I want to be nestled safe in your arms so Lord forgive me for not loving your people the way I need to love your people Lord, for being angry with those for not doing things maybe the way that I would think that they should do them. Or worse yet, Lord, just ignoring them altogether. Lord, I just pray you will speak to our hearts. That you'll shine that spotlight on what you want us to deal with. And I really believe you're speaking right now to your people. Lord, we're not able to do this in our own strength. We need you. So, Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for how it speaks so close to our heart. To what we need to walk closely with you and to abide in you. Lord, help us to love your people and to recognize how much you love your people. Help us to be your body, your family here. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.